Today on Growing Through Grace. There's lots of lessons to be learned. I'll tell you what the one that maybe you should learn, and it's an important one. And here's the lesson. Compromise always fails. If you're looking to accomplish God's will by somehow compromising, you'll never get His will accomplished. Listening to Growing Through Grace with Pastor Jacob Elin of Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California. And as we begin a new week, we're looking forward to getting back to the study that we started last time in Acts chapter 21, verses 18 through 40. The point that Pastor Jack is up to in this passage deals with the many Christians in Jerusalem that still hung on to and loved the law. And they're trying to encourage Paul to compromise in that area. Let's listen in to how this turns out as our teacher brings us the conclusion of this message. Here's Pastor Jack. Verse 17, the the church, they love Paul. They love the work of God's Spirit. The leadership greet Paul. They're, They're cordial. They hear the details about what God has done, and they glorify the Lord. Isn't God good? But they said to him, all right, great that he's doing that all over the world, but I want you to know how many Jews are here that are believers, that have been taught the law, that are informed about you, that you are contrary to the law. Verse 22, what then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. So what's the problem? Well, there's Jewish saints here that will certainly start talking together here now that you're in town. They have it out for you. They've been taught that you're, you know, anti-Jewish custom, if you will. And I want to say, well, of course they do, James. That's exactly what you've been teaching them for years. So, do what we tell you, verse 23. We've got a solution. Here's how we're going to bring you into the good graces of the saints here in Jerusalem. Verse 23. We have four men who've taken a vow... Now you take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they can shave their heads, that they can all make known the things of which they are informed, that they may, sorry, that all of them may know that those things of which they have been informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and that you walk by keeping the law. So here's our solution for you. And I think the truth of Jesus setting you free would have been a better solution, but anyway... Carry on for now. There's four guys here for Pentecost. They, they've made a Nazarite vow. Now, the Nazarite vow, you can read about it in Numbers chapter 6, was a uniquely Jewish practice. It was adopted by both men and women, by the way. It was sometimes adopted for life. Think Samson, uh, who didn't follow through. Uh, but it was a special time of devotion to the Lord. Most of them in the Bible lasted 30 days. Some of them a whole lot less than that even, but it was a time when you would shave your head, no wine, no touching a dead body. There were, there were, uh, it was a time of real devotion to the Lord. Uh, to break that vow, you had to offer seven days of, of, 
be in full-time prayer without going to work, just there 24-7 at the temple. You had to bring many offerings according to Numbers chapter 6 when you were finished so that you know, you could, you've invested, you've, you've devoted yourself. It was a, a time of real devotion. There was quite a cost involved, not only to take time off of work, but to offer three animals and a drink offering and the grain offering and the lamb for a sin offering. There's lots of, there's lots of costs that came with them. Um, but look, Jesus has come. So Paul, why don't you get involved in this very typical practice at the, at the temple, do it publicly, you know, f- forward the money to these guys so that they can stand with you. You'll make a big show of things and people will know, yeah, you're right in there with us. Well, he wasn't right in there with them. That was the problem. He was free. They were not. But here's what you should do. Do what we tell you. That's verse 23. Paul, go into them in this Jewish practice, pay their expenses, so these four boys can apparently offer to God something which cost them nothing. That's ridiculous. In so doing, the community of believers here and unbelievers alike will, will, will know that what they've heard about you is not true that you are a good Jewish boy at heart. You may be a Christian, but the law is important to you. Let me say this to you. What they are asking Paul to do is, is, is objectly cowardly and wrong. It was compromised for the sake of establishing a position regarding the old religious customs. It was deceptive because... Paul didn't believe that, didn't teach that, didn't practice that. Oh, he's made one of these vows himself on his second journey in Corinth. For him, it was a personal matter of devotion to God. It, it, had, it had value because his spiritual life was in order. He didn't depend upon the ritual. He used it as a form of worship. But that's not what they're asking him to do here. They're asking him to establish that, that law is more important than grace. That he... Should not have done. But, but here's the lesson. To, to never compromise principle to support policy. It doesn't work. The moment you do, your position is weakened and so is your influence. And, and certainly one of Satan's greatest tools is to seek to have us compromise our stand, for example, of faith in God alone. Remember Pharaoh saying to Moses, when, the, when Moses said, let us go to the desert and worship. And he said, okay, you can go, just leave your kids. And then he said, well, no, 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 we're going to take our kids. And then Pharaoh said, all right, well, don't go too far. And so it went. We know we are to walk with Jesus, but sometimes we hear, saints will say, you know, well, we don't want to be fanatics. We don't want to go overboard living this godly life. And I've never met anyone that's gone overboard living a godly life. I've, I've known people that have gone underboard, way under, <laughs> trying. So let's talk about evangelism. Paul's in a position where he wants to reach these people. How much compromise would you allow in your life before you defeat the very purpose of your heart in trying to reach people with the truth? You have a gospel, but now it is hidden, tainted, twisted, or, or, or deflected by the behavior that you choose. Obey their religious practices or share in their liberties. 
Would you go to the bar and sit down with some guy, drink all night, just because you want to, I just want to be there, bro, for you? Or would you stand outside and go, here is what God has delivered me from. And so I'm calling you to a new way of life. How much would you be willing to participate in? Well, that's the call of, of James and, and the church to Paul, who has been the, the single greatest soul winner in, in the history of the early church. And they sit in judgment of his liberty. And they ask him for this strange admixture of faith in Jesus with ongoing attempts for righteousness that comes through the keeping of ceremony. They weren't free. That was the problem. And they resented the fact that Paul was. And so what do they say to Paul? Can you meet people halfway? And in my opinion, he should never have done it. And I would say that the fruit that comes from it would bear that out. But his heart is right. He, he wants to reach these folks, his people, in the worst way. Whatever I can do. To all people, you know, he said, to the Jew, I become like a Jew that I could by some means win uh, the, the Jews. I become all, all men, to all things, to all men that I might win some. That was Paul's mentality. And that was his heart. In verse 25 we read, Now concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except they should keep themselves from the things that have been offered to idols and from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality, which is nothing more than a quotation from Acts 15 where the decision had been made amongst everyone that the Gentiles didn't need to become Jews before they could become saints or, or Christians or believers. It was almost like, you know, here's what we want for you. And by the way, Paul, we already signed on to the old Acts 15 deal. We're with you, man. We're just talking about the Jews here, not the Gentiles. We just want them to feel comfortable with you and where you've come from. This is a Jewish thing. And we read in verse 26, Then Paul took these men, and the next day, having been purified with them, he entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. And for seven days, when they were ended, the Jews from Asia, from Ephesus, we would find out, uh, seeing him in the temple stirred up those, uh, the whole crowd, and, and they tried to lay hands on Paul. Now, I guess verse 25 made the pill easier to swallow, but in, in verse 26, we, we see that Paul, in his love for his people, agrees to take a position of compromise. He agrees with James. All right, man, if that's what it's going to take. He puts a lot of his own money on the line to, to finance four guys' spiritual commitment. We had somebody once, and I, I thought it was, I wanted to laugh out loud, but I didn't think that was fair. But I laughed out loud inwardly. Does that count? It doesn't even count, I don't think. But I had a guy come and say to me, hey, bro, can you help with my rent? And I said, What's, why can't you pay the rent? And he came to the church. And he said this, the Lord told me to quit working. I said, well, let me get this straight. You now want me to pay the consequences of your action of faith. Is that right? Yeah, the Lord just told me not to work and to talk to you about it. Well, I said, well, I'm glad you came and talked to me. I can't help you, and I never will help you. Go ask the Lord how you're going to pay your rent. Well, I did. He told me to talk to you. Look, if you're going to make a decision, live with the consequences. 
I'd say, you know, if you're going to quit your job because you don't like it, have another one ready. Don't be foolish and call it faith. So here these men are, are, are sacrificing, making a devotion, expending themselves at someone else's expense. And Paul agrees. These guys take a week off of work. They bring their, their, they go through the rituals. You know, they, they, they dedicate themselves in, in public. And it all seems to go well. And for the week that Paul was there with them, you know, the days were counted. The, the, the time was planned. The, the offerings were laid up. Everything was ready to go. Ready to go. But I think this was Paul's greatest blunder. I, I don't think I admire anyone but Jesus in the Bible, except for Jesus, Paul probably more than anyone else. Joseph comes close, Daniel, uh, people I never can be like. I can, I, there's a bunch of guys in there who I'm exactly like. That's not one of them. This is no way to reach the lost. This is no instruction to save through, from religious bondage. You know, Jesus' answer to this was, come out and be separate. Separate yourself. Step away from this. But he stepped into it. Paul, who I believe wrote the book of Hebrews, will say to the Jewish believer regarding the symbols here, give up the old wineskins, man. Those are old wineskins. We, we have a new wine. Picturing as <laughs> Pictures were good until Jesus came. In any event, we, we are told in verse 27, at the end of that week of de- dedication, there were some believing Jews from Asia. And Paul had been, you remember, in Ephesus for those three years before he had returned here, who stirred up the crowds in the temple to lay hands on Paul, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, against the law, against this place. Furthermore, he's brought Gentiles into the temple. He's defiled this holy place, for they had previously seen Trophimus, an Ephesian, with him in the city when they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. All they had seen him with was in the city. It's not exactly the temple. It was a big city. It was one little small temple. At the end of the seven days, some real legalists in town for Passover, or I mean for Pentecost, turn on Paul. And these were folks who were from Ephesus. Paul had been there for three years. The church was huge and and influential, and they hated Paul's freedom. And they thought that they would never find a greater support among the zealous than here in, in Jerusalem. They certainly couldn't find that support in Ephesus. So one grave exaggeration and one outright presumptive lie is all of it took to to set off a whole whole temple full of Pentecost celebratories, uh, those guys at the party. Now, there was at the temple an out a wall, actually, a court where they had the temple of the Gent or, or the, the court of the Gentiles. It was partitioned off. It had a sign upon it that, that said under, under penalty of death, a Gentiles could not cross any further towards the internal and, you know, the central part of the temple. So the Gentiles had an, they had an, uh, an approach to the Lord, but they were separated by some things. Paul used that very word when he wrote to the Ephesians, and, and he said in chapter 
um, two, I think. Let's, let's pray that the Lord would separate you know, us or remove this wall of separation that's down the middle and make us one, Jews and Gentiles, women and men. <laughs> let, let, the Lord makes us one. That was his, you know, he used that very example in his teaching to the Ephesians. But needless to say, here's how verse 29, rumors get started. Yeah, we saw Paul in town with a Gentile, so he must have tried dragging him into the temple. Well, that's far-fetched, isn't it? Doesn't even a reasonable part go, that doesn't make sense. Makes sense at all. Hey, I saw this guy at the movies. I think he was at church. Hey, he's at the movies. <laughs> But, you know, hate has a rationale all of its own. So, verse 30, all of the city was disturbed. Why? Well, because if we go back to what James said, everyone here has been taught that you're a troublemaker, Paul, when it comes to the Jews. And the city was disturbed, and the people ran together. They seized Paul. They dragged him out of the temple. They immediately shut the doors. And as they were seeking... To bless him? Pray for him? No. Pentecost, guys. We're going to kill him. News came to the commander of the garrison in Jerusalem that there was an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and some centurions. They ran down to, to the temple area, and when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And the commander came near, and he took him, and he commanded him to be bound with two chains, and he asked what... He, who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing, some another. And so he couldn't ascertain the truth to the tumult, and he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. And when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the people, or the multitude of the people, were crying, away with him. It certainly didn't take long for a religious riot to break out. If there was a freedom that, that you could find here, this wasn't it. And, and the, the, the intention of the people at the temple was fairly clear. They were here to worship God for Pentecost. Oh yeah, and to kill a guy if they could. What a, what a life Paul led. Now beaten by a mob who he loved, who wanted, he wanted to reach them in the worst way with the grace of God that God has provided through his son. He had brought men and thousands of dollars and, and hundreds of miles to just say, we love our brethren in Israel that are of Christ and in Christ here in Jerusalem. He'd done everything he could to bless. He, he compromised himself. And that didn't work either because they weren't convinced. They knew better and so should Paul. What he hoped to avoid, he couldn't avoid. Fortunately, Rome kept a garrison of a thousand men on the northwest corner of the Temple Mount in a place called the Antonia Fortress. When we take you to Israel, we can show you where it was put. Herod had it built because this place was trouble. And if there was trouble, it was there that there was trouble. And so to stay right with Rome, they, they made sure that they had that taken care of. Um, so they call for the soldiers. We are told in Josephus' writing, the Jewish historian, that Pentecost in the first century could draw a million plus people to Jerusalem. This was no small riot. This was as bad as it got. Two, you know, a million people at the temple 
and Rome with a presence of a thousand soldiers to avoid trouble, which they hated. And so the temple police out of the Antonio Porchers. And notice, who saves Paul? Not the Jews. Who is he? And what has he done? And he couldn't get a straight anchor, answer at all. At least, no sensible answers anyway. And so he takes Paul into protective custody, and he, and he wants to get to the bottom of it. They, they change Paul between two soldiers. They push him through the crowds. When the crowds get too thick and they get near the barracks of the Antonio Fortress, they hold him overhead and carry him over their heads to, to save him. Paul maybe should have listened to all those warnings. This was going to get bad. Now here's my question for you. Where's the church now? Where are the believers standing up for Paul? Where is James and his elders now? Where are they? Why aren't they protesting his arrest? Why aren't they standing with him and saying, you take him, you take us too? Why aren't they in, in, in the battle? And, and the answer is because they're still caught up in the legalism. In fact, through all of these next five or six chapters, the church from Jerusalem never gets himself involved. They don't come to Caesarea to see how Paul's doing. They don't stand up to support him. They don't come to his aid. They don't testify in his behalf. They just let him squander away his life. All because of the lack of grace that God has given and they haven't embraced. In verse 37... We read, then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commanders, may I speak to you? And he replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? Yeah, that was me. <laughs> no. But, but Paul said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia. I'm a citizen of a no mean city. I am employee. Permit me to speak to the people. And so when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs, motioned with his hands to the people, and there was great silence, and he turned to them and he began to speak to them in Hebrew. The, the Roman commander mistook Paul for some famous insurrectionist from Egypt, thought that only someone like that, killing 4,000 others, could could draw a crowd so angry. But Paul sees his opportunity. This is what he's been dreaming about for years. Speaking to the Jews in Jerusalem about the Messiah. He, I am sure, believed if he could get the chance to speak to them about God and all that he had done, they would listen and all be converted. His influence, his, his notoriety, if, if nothing else, is pretty well evidenced by the fact that he stands on these stairs and just goes like this. And everybody quiets down. The whole place goes silent. It's an amazing picture. Paul's great anticipation to accomplish the work of God. The crowds wanting to just tear him limb from limb. And in that crowd, many of the, the saints who were still bound in the do's and do doubts and, the, and, and not the, the grace that God had provided We'll look forward to that next message to see what Paul has to share with this hostile crowd. We've been listening to a study taken from Acts chapter 21, verses 18 through 40. 
This has been the second half and conclusion of a two-part study taught by Pastor Jack Abelin. If you'd like to get the entire message, we do have that available for you. All you need to do to order is simply contact us and ask for study number 3081. That's always helpful for us to know the radio station that you're listening to, so be sure to mention those call letters when you get a hold of us. And as we're studying the beginning of the church, how about going all the way back to the beginning of creation? It's always good to see the foundations of our faith in the very first book of the Bible. And here in the month of February, we'd like to offer to you Pastor Jack's teachings through the book of Genesis in the MP3 format on either a single CD or a USB flash drive. Pastor Jack takes us to the account of creation, the flood, and the beginning of God's covenant relationship with man through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So if you'd like to get Pastor Jack's studies through Genesis in the MP3 format, either on a single CD or a USB flash drive, or to get today's study, just dial our toll-free phone number at 866-88-GRACE. That's 866-884-7223. Again, that's 866-884-7223. You can also order by mail. Just address your letter to Growing Through Grace, P.O. Box 1954, Whittier, California, 90609. And as always, we have this resource and all of our others available online at growingthroughgrace.com. That's growingthroughgrace.com. That's going to wrap up our time together today. We do thank you for being with us. So until next time, as you daily walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, may you continue to grow in His grace. Growing Through Grace is a listener-supported ministry brought to you by Morning Star Christian Chapel in Whittier, California, the Calvary Chapel Outreach.